0: Hey team, welcome back and welcome to episode 28 of Transition Talk where we talk about dental transitions and how to navigate the sometimes messy path to practice ownership. So as we said back in episode 26, there are some universal rules to transitions and we hope you've gained some tools about some of those topics listening to us over the last year or so. But there are unique factors about your specialty that can impact your transition. In episode 25, we talked about ortho and today we're going to spend our time discussing the pediatric transition. Now we did an unplugged episode a while back about pedo. So you have a resource here already, but we wanted to refine that a bit more and dive into some of those topics. No rule is a formula for a transition and everything is unique, but I think it's worth ultimately understanding what risk you have, what opportunities you have that are unique to your specialty so you can make the best decisions. Do you like it? Do you love it? Does it fit what you want? If you can say yes to those, then we can move on to what's next. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Mr.
1: Loretto. What's up, Christy?
0: Hello. What's going on this week?
1: Well, this week, I know everyone is tired of hearing about coal. This is the last coal (laughs) update. So uh, we go to dinner last night. It's the last farewell dinner. And I was like, well, what are you nervous about? And it's hard to get words out of this big giant. I finally pulled it out of him. And he said, Dad, it's like I'm going away for camp. And I hate camp but I know I'm gonna have a good time. I'm just a little nervous about being at camp for four years.
0: Oh my gosh, that's so true. <laughs> he
1: has such an anxiety to leave home, but he's already hooked up with a bunch of people, and he's getting these random text messages from this guy and heard your basketball team will get intermurals. He's already got parties lined up for this weekend on Friday and Saturday.
0: Oh man. It's going to so be so fun. It's going to be so fun. Again.
1: So I'm pumped for all the fun I know that my little boy's going to have. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think I'll have a different perspective when my daughter's to to I to uh, Absolutely. I
1: know. I know. <laughs> Men smile about their boys and then they can't sleep at night for their girls. i not going
0: to feel like this when Bella goes to <laughs> school. Gonna make you're going to be Bella, right. do you want to stay you're, here you're, in the house yeah, forever?
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What's happened on the Ratcliffe girls and the boy? How is Mr. Chris Ratcliffe?
0: Recovering well. We are finally just trucking along, ready for school to start and just living life. Cannot yeah. complain over here. Work has been crazy busy. We're growing here. I'm excited to talk about this topic. I re-listened to our Unplugged episode we did back forever ago at this point. I just realized there are things we didn't cover there and I'm excited to cover them here. So when you think about a pedo transition, kind of what comes to mind? What are you thinking about? Kind of what flags is unique? it's a different animal than ortho for sure.
1: Yeah. So funny going back to listen to that episode as well. We were young. (laughs) I think we're better now.
0: I hope we're better. Yeah.
1: So the first thing that jumps at me when I go back to that ortho podcast is they are the opposite from a pedo perspective. The pediatric dentist is super high in demand. I mean, you can pretty much start a pediatric practice and just be successful out of the gate. I had a meeting with a dermatologist this morning And same thing. She started her practice and she's absolutely crushing it. And that's just what we see in pediatric dentistry. So it's back to that whole income approach when we talk about valuations where you want to look at the last several years to basically confirm those collections. Confirm that overhead, confirm the asset, just to be able to look at all the risks that we would see in a business. We're going to definitely use the income approach with the pediatric dental evaluations, and then that market approach is that unique rareness thing that we're going to apply to our orthodontic cases, just because it's the opposite where you're pretty much in a seller's market where you can put your practice up for sale on the AO and just get a lot of hits. It's the opposite on the pediatric side where people are just really looking for buyers. And so there's just definitely much more of a demand. And I talked about some of these same issues in that podcast. And I did also, the American Board of Pediatric Dentistry invited me to do a webinar. And I got a lot of traction as well about some of these same, I would say, long-term kind of opportunities that I think you as a pediatric dentist have to be able to kind of build this practice, bring associates in. I'll touch a little bit on how orthodontics can impact your career and the practice you build as well. But it's one of those rare times, Christy, very rare, that when I'm speaking to someone, they're kind of going back and forth that I actually even promote doing Mm -hmm. a startup practice for a pediatric dentist. So it's very unique. When I think about we work with a lot of pediatric dentists, and a lot of our partnerships,
0: mm-hmm. you know, There's a I lot think, of
1: partnerships, a lot of big practices, you know, if I try to look back and why is that? Why do mm-hmm. we have a lot of pediatric dentists or why do a lot of pediatric dentists work in partnerships? I think overall, they're kind of cool people. They're easygoing. They're able to deal with moms. I was say, <laughs> they have to deal with people like me. And so I think they have a different patients meaning uh, with a C than the normal breed and so they get along and they're just busy and they make a lot of money so i think if you can make a lot of money be high in demand as far as the patient's coming to you and you're easy to get along with it's easier to kind of build your practice out so we see a lot of big big pediatric practices with a lot of partnerships and if I can just give some words of advice when I'm talking to a pediatric dentist is you can never build big enough. I mean, you need space. You're going to be so busy. You need a really, really good consultant to assist you, making sure you've got good systems, good flow through the office. You'll have tax issues. I mean, I'm telling you right now, just like my dermatologist this morning, she had no idea she's going to have some tax issues. And I'm like, you're going to have tax issues. And so it's a really cool, unique space. Very much like, and I'll talk about some of these same things when we do a version of this for oral surgery, but if I don't really see exactly what we're looking for as we look through kind of where they want to own, I'll push them a little bit more towards the startup mm-hmm. thing.
0: And you know what's interesting is it's more of a buyer's market clearly more than the ortho where it's a seller's market. Buyers have the ability to plant roots somewhere, open up, and become busy. So for that purpose that the buyer's market, when it comes to buying a practice and kind of that negotiating, so you're kind of in the driver's seat. You kind of have more of a pull than I would say an ortho buyer does. It's interesting because we say they're busy, they're profitable, but there's not as many of them. It's harder to find pediatric associates. So we definitely see that, and that impacts the valuation. I mean, I would say for from a range standpoint, you know, dental practice should value in that 60 to 85% range. I think that it's a much wider range for pediatric practices because Mm -hmm. there's so many factors that can cause it to be on one side or the other. I would say the range is probably 50 to 90%. Medicaid, overhead, where it is, like all of those things can play a big role. And if you have the ability to start up, then maybe you're not as willing to pay maybe those higher multiples or you see something that's risky and you're like, no, I'm going to do my own thing. So I definitely think that's unique. Most people would say, hey, it's Medicaid, I'm gonna pay less. You know, we think Medicaid is probably pretty standard across the pediatric Definitely. practice world. There's gonna be some percentage, so it doesn't drive it down significantly if there's a normal amount, and we'll talk about what that is. But ninety percent for a fee-for-service pedo office with a fifty oh, yeah. percent overhead that has great finish Sign out, great space. All day long, right? That same practice has a seventy percent overhead and it's seventy percent Medicaid, probably uh-huh. out. Or not paying ninety percent, right? Correct, I'm not correct. out but I'm not paying ninety percent. So those practices because they're bigger, they often have more risk because they're oftentimes have multiple associates. Those associates are seeing and doing a large percentage of the production along with the owners, and so there's that it's fantastic, but what if one of those people leave and now we have to find a replacement? So if I'm in an urban area, I'm likely to find an associate faster than if I'm in rural, just like other specialties. But I think that pediatric, for some reason, it's harder to find that associate replacement. Again, I just think from a valuation standpoint, there are pieces of this puzzle that create a wider range and it's not as easy to pinpoint that, okay, it's gonna be 70% of collections right away.
1: We helped a young guy here in Dallas. I've talked about this before, but it was right across the street from a three or four pediatrician group. And the office closed at 3 o'clock, and it was all fee-for-service. And he took over that practice, and, yeah, we paid a pretty penny for it. It was 90-plus percent on the valuation. But when you look at it from afar, it's a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. The opportunity for it to grow. We can see the stock, basically, that it's a solid investment. We can see that it's going to grow. We see the guy and the gal that they love the area. And, it, again, fee-for-service, higher fees for the same work that he's doing twice as much as an associate down the street. So sometimes, yeah, it's okay to pay a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, for something that's working.
0: And so. that Medicaid component that I mentioned, I think the average Kane Waters puts out a pediatric dental report of the average of all of their clients and the 18 edition says roughly that 20% number. So the yes. average Kane Waters practice has around 20% Medicaid. So I think it's common that there's a piece of it in the pediatric world, but I think that there's always a risk benefit to Medicaid, right? It can be turned off, it can be adjusted, what you get reimbursed can change but there are practices that we have seen that are a high percentage of Medicaid, but they have super low overheads. Mm -hmm. And so that benefit from that one year of cash flow can support a price, right? And you're kind of taking that risk on. So some of this does go back to, as a buyer, what risk level am I willing to take on knowing that there's such a large portion that's Medicaid, but the profitability is there, so does that weigh out in my mind, or am I gonna hold steady for, you know, maybe another practice that's not Medicaid-driven?
1: And I can think about somebody that we just spoke to just a few weeks ago, female that's looking to purchase a Medicaid practice, and it was in a nice area, kind of the Austin-type area of Texas. But the problem was is the owner had built this satellite practice and basically focused that satellite practice on Medicaid. So now all of a sudden, I'll play with a number. The business is doing a million dollars, 50% overhead. So it makes really good money. So it's an attractive thing. But what I was trying to educate both the buyer and the buyer's husband was one of the things you have to think about is kind of like your five reasons you must own. You got to think about the equity in the business well, now all of a sudden you own something that's not as attractive to sell a 100% Medicaid practice. Mm -hmm. So you got to think about that. Mm -hmm. You got to think about that I'm buying something that I may not be able to resell for the same price or it may be more difficult. So I might want to diversify my risk and I don't know, add an insurance or think out of the box and create even a fee-for-service type patient over the span. So that's when we value these practices. I know you do this all the time, but we want to put these risk factors and help determine what that value is. And so Medicaid is a big, big part of valuations in pediatric practices. Absolutely.
0: One of the things we touched on here a couple times, we've said it already, is the overhead of the practice. Clearly, that is still a major driver in the valuation. Average overhead based on the Cane Waters How Does Your Practice Compare report for a pedo practice is around 50%. So, I mean, that's, I think, a solid. You can definitely see some lower, older practices not as efficient and we'll talk about this in a second when we talk about consultants, making sure you're getting a lot of new patients, you have a heavy volume, getting them in and through in the most efficient way possible is really critical. And keeping your staff costs where they need to be is really important there. You've got higher staff costs potentially than some other specialties, just because the hygienist and the number of staff you need to process those people. So keeping that in line is really important.
1: Yeah. And you want to get me excited or come through the phone and just like, like, oh my gosh, it's nothing more excites me than a low, Overhead, I just I get tickled. I you show me some million, million two, and you know some thirty percent overhead, which I've seen in pediatric practices. I mean, I get excited. I mean, don't (laughs) screw it up. That's my thing. Don't screw it up. (laughs) So Uh,
0: we've talked about the pedo, and we've talked about ortho, and those two are related. I think we'd be amiss if we didn't talk about the relationship between those and just kind of how they can drive each other just, I mean, similarly, and we'll talk about in a second, the pediatric referrals, the pediatric medical kind of doctor referrals. But how does that pediatric and ortho relationship kind of talk to me about that? I know this is one of your faves.
1: Yes, I love me some pedo ortho relationship. I always say this is find me one orthodontist, find just one that is now either next door to the pediatric dentist or is in a partnership that looks in the face without smiling going, This was the worst decision ever. It is the best decision ever. It is the most magical relationship of all relationships. You know, one of the beautiful things is if you can if you can build a pediatric practice as an owner, unless for simplicity, say it's a million, typically pedos, about the million three, million four, million five, there's a number where you can't physically see that many patients. That number could be up to two million by yourself. If it's higher fees, I would say more fee-for-service, more insurance-driven. Larger component of Medicaid, there's going to be higher number of patients, lower fees. So there's a number you can't physically do anymore pedo. I'll play with a number of one five. Now, all of a sudden, you want to expand your business, and we bring another pedo in, and now you're doing $3 million between the two of you. You are basically referring out between $1.5 to $1.7 million of orthodontics. So, general rule is for every million dollars of pedo, there's about a half a million dollars of orthodontics, or about 100 starts, mm-hmm. however you want to look at it. And we're able to get that information by working with this many pediatric dentists in partnerships with orthodontics to be able to see these numbers. So to me, I think when you own a stock as a business owner, you own a business, you're doing a million five. You can't physically do anymore. So you bring somebody else in. You value the business, you pull the equity out of the business, and now you and a pedo are 50-50 partners. Now you bring the orthodontist in, you grow from three million to maybe five million. What do you do? You value the business again and pull more equity out between the three of you. You continue to drive down your fixed costs and continue to be more and more profitable. And this is a win-win relationship. Between in this example, all three of you. You want to go further, bring a GP in or to retire out your older 19-year-old six foot seven kids like mine <laughs> that doesn't fit at the pediatric dentist anymore. And so and being able to work those relationships with the moms that are coming in and have services there. So it's a way to kind of build that thing out, and we certainly have seen that in my almost 20 years in doing this. It's something to at least consider. You don't have to do it. It may be too much risk for you to go build real estate and bring partners in, but our goal is to basically educate you and to think about kind of what that future opportunity is. And it certainly impacts from a valuation standpoint, that opportunity. If I looked at a pedo and a pedo and an ortho, I feel very certain that orthodontic component of that business is going to be solid knowing those referrals are directly moving over and they have a really high close ratio in case acceptance in that model.
0: I think I just thought of something that might excite you more What's than that? overhead. What's that? A husband, wife, pedo-ortho.
1: Oh, don't get me started. Don't <laughs> get me started. Don't get me started. Oh Opportunity
0: man. abounds. Hey, we
1: just hired a CPA at Kane Waters that's married to a dentist, so I was kind of excited about him. Oh,
0: wow, that's super exciting. That's some insight. That's some unfair insight. Yes. Okay, so we talked about that relationship, which I think is clearly, I can see the benefit there. When we talk about pedo referrals, marketing, internal versus external. Clearly, there's some uniqueness about that business. I think that it goes without saying that if we can just suggest that you do a startup and know that patients will come through your door, then that tells me you don't have to do a ton of marketing. So talk to me about what you see in marketing inside and outside.
1: Well, from a pediatric standpoint, it's low to nothing. I've seen it where it's half percent. There is no marketing needs for the pediatric dentist. Essentially, you're building a relationship with your pediatrician's you would typically see some of the lowest advertising kind of promotional costs. You're typically going to see that in the pediatric, and then it kind of moves all the way up to the orthodontist being the highest. But the inodontist is going to have very low marketing. It's just a straight referral base. So low, low cost there.
0: You see a lot of sponsorships. I yeah. sponsor oh, the yes. soccer team. I sponsor you know, my name's on the back of the jersey. Like Definitely. You can see a lot of that in the pedo world. And to second, the pediatrician piece, I mean, I know as recently, I mean, I have a three-year-old, they tell you to start going at like one. I'm like, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure they have teeth at one. But as a mom, you're like, well, they tell me to go at one. I haven't been at the dentist, so I guess I should go. Who do I go to? And you just go because like, what's your exposure, right? You don't think about these things until you hear them or know them, right? Or experience them as a mom. But that's clearly very, very common. And looking at expenses and valuations, the advertising is totally different than
1: advertising for any other specialty. We're kind of like the p. Pediatrician for dentistry because we're getting these young people and we're guiding them oh, to all, right. all come of to their, us as
0: early as possible yeah, so, to prevent mistakes so, the so we're the
1: pediatrician so then we, we send them to the pediatric dentist and then eventually pediatric dentist they get sent over to maybe the ortho. Then the surgeon has to pull the tooth out. <laughs> and then, then they go to the GP. And then they go back to the surgeon for the implants when the teeth you know fall out. But we're like the original. So it, it is interesting to see kind of that life cycle of where they flow through. Absolutely. And as a pediatric dentist, I think control you yep. know, a lot of that. So it's pretty cool. Let's see. I love good demographics. I used to refer to another group. I'm making a switch, Christy. Oh, man. I, I'm making the switch of who I'm referring to. So I have just recently became a really big fan of the Practice Real Estate Group, and they are not sending Christy and I Christmas baskets, no hams, they should, no dollars. So there's no <laughs> referral relationship here, but they will do your demographics for your area at no cost. Yeah. So basically, if you're looking at a certain area, reach out to them and they can really pinpoint where good spots are, and basically they get paid if you do a real estate deal and that's how they're compensated. But they'll consult you at minimum looking at some of these things as far as where to start these practices. So I want to be able to see, especially in my pediatric practices, as far as good demographics, typically we're looking for kind of our zero to whatever 12-year-old kids or zero to 18 kids that we're making sure we want to be able to see our incomes. We want to be able to see if we're going to have a Medicaid component to it. We need really good information to help us with our location, obviously where our pediatricians are as well. They're really good at that.
0: Yeah, and oftentimes we'll see or we'll hear or we'll get a buy who will bring us an opportunity and it's a pedo practice and it's like super small location Mm -hmm. and that's one of our first things is like because they have these plans for growth that they're like, I really think there's an opportunity here but they're in this space that doesn't fit whatever their plans are for growth. So really understanding like, okay, if you're going to buy a practice and it's in a small space, What is your plan to get out of this space? Do you plan on building? Is there another location you're gonna go to in a short amount of time? Because they grow out faster than they expect.
1: Yeah, typically my one pediatric dentist really, really needs six chairs. Really needs two quiet rooms, my four open bay, concept with my hygiene, and that's gonna be able to propel me to probably a million five, million seven. I can do some Mm -hmm. staggered hours with an associate or something like that and maybe crank out more. But we're gonna be really, really busy in that space. So I like to lease first if I can just so I can see how big I'm going to grow and figure out what my vision is. You mm-hmm. don't always know your vision at year True. one, your day one, you're going to know that vision is going to see it. It's going to change. And so typically after that seven year lease, we can really see where this thing is going to go. We probably have an associate. We're going to bring GP or ortho. We may go build something. I'd like to maybe share that risk with somebody else, mm-hmm. go build a two, two and a half, who knows, $3 million, giant, beautiful facility. I don't want to take that on myself. I may share that with maybe my new partner, just having that clear vision of where that's going to go and being able to see that I'm growing this, but I'm building equity. I know my value of this, this thing is going up. And I like to say that when you're making all these decisions, there are risk and they're what I call calculated risk. And so our job is to try to help you make calculated risk. And that's either going to buy the right practice, buy somebody out, it could be a partnership that you're thinking about, or if we just exhaust all those measures and then potentially go down this calculated risk with doing a startup.
0: Yep. And I think another reason and you spoke about this, the example we used in the beginning when the pedo practice has like non-mom hours or non-working mom hours Mm -hmm. where it's like it closes at three, there's that opportunity. There's that growth potential just by expanding hours. You know, I think you can see that in other specialties as well, but I think in a pedo practice, it's clear that just by being open a few more hours and capturing a few more patients that may not be able to come to you, that really helped our previous client just seeing that opportunity for growth. Mm -hmm. So looking at the new patients per month is important on a pedo you want to see that new patient growth you want to understand kind of why maybe there isn't that new patient growth if you're looking at an older practice maybe they're not making relationships with the new pediatricians in town where like the new kids are going so you want to kind of really pay attention to that piece of it we're looking for what's my opportunity for growth if you have that vision and you're buying an older practice
1: yeah and i love just the good marketing and branding i want to be a beautiful website i want excellent reviews and that's something, too, that typically like a practice management consultant mm-hmm. that's built practice after practice can help you. I've been working with Jill Allen. I've known Jill Allen for a number of years, but just kind of starting to refer more and more to her. She's got an excellent reputation. She's been in the ortho space for a number of years. And now she let me know that she is opening up the gates in 2020 with the orthodontic component and helping them getting their business off. But the bottom line is they're really good consultants that are out there and just like proven professionals that have been able to guide you on kind of that marking and branding component, either on a practice that we're purchasing for the first time that doesn't really have that brand or startup or even a partnership that doesn't have that brand as well. So super important.
0: Absolutely. And one other thing I wanted to point out is clearly we, you know, when we're working with pedo practices, either from a valuation standpoint or a buyer standpoint, there's oftentimes this surgery component or this yes. OR privileges and buyers are kind of like not sure what to do with that component. One, I think you have to understand how big it is. It can be super profitable. You can have kind of one OR a day that produces a, a good amount of money for that 15, practice. 15, 20 yeah. grand a day. A lot. There's a couple things you need to know. One, you need to be comfortable with what's going on there you need to be able to get those privileges, right? Sometimes that is hard to do. And so if a seller has an established relationship and it's gonna be challenging for you to get that, we need to know how much that is because that's a risk that you're not gonna be able to get that and you're gonna lose that production collection. Another thing to keep in mind is some practices still do kind of in-house sedation and some buyers are not comfortable with that, right? right? That's something that you have to judge for yourself of what is my comfort level of doing what I'm doing and what would I like to do moving forward and again, seeing the numbers, breaking it out, pulling that out of the analysis, seeing how that works. That's where we can kind of help gauge that. But ultimately, you have to be comfortable with that risk because it's a little bit of a different aspect than other specialties do.
1: I mean, the bottom line is we're going to do this. With every practice that we value or every practice that we're going to help you buy, we're looking at the production. We're looking at the procedures. And if you were a GP purchasing a practice and it was doing implants and that freaks you out, well, that doesn't freak me out until I know how many implants. Is yeah. it one implant or 100 implants? Right. And if it's an OR day, does one day a week, well, let's just talk about what that number is. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about, is that number flowing into the, to the corp or is it a separate entity? And let's back that number out and still make a reasonable yep. offer because he or she is only open till 3 p.m. And that yep. we should be able to figure out worst case scenario. We don't have the OR, but we expand. We, this is still a good opportunity because you and your spouse still want to be there. So it is important for going through this process of just interviewing you to make sure that we can get through this, because there's a lot of great opportunities in these practices that that make us super excited. And
0: I think too, thinking about it from the other side too, if I have a seller who likes to do OR days and is ready to sell and is happy to work back for you just doing that OR day, right? You're gonna pay him more compensation, clearly it's worth more. But a lot of sellers that I've worked with like those days, right? Like those are great days for them. And so they're willing to continue doing those, Clearly for a higher level of compensation, which you should be willing to do as a buyer, you know, that's a solution too. So kind of just thinking outside of the box instead of being like, hey, I'm gonna lose that, I'm gonna offer less. Okay, well, are you willing to stay around and do those for a period of time while I get comfortable or while I, you know, figure out another solution or grow the practice to accommodate when those are lost. So a lot of solutions just kind of have to think about that and understand kind of what those options are. Awesome. So I think that's it. Anything else we can keep jabbing on about?
1: Well, it's one more trip to Oklahoma. Let's just pray that my son brings his. His ID so I don't have to spend another 170 bucks of Uber to get his ID up there and that he doesn't die first week of school. So <laughs> that's all I got. Next yeah. update, <laughs> 29.
0: <laughs> Thanks for joining us today. If you like what you hear, remember to subscribe, review, rate us, share us with your friends. Until next time, friends.
1: Thanks guys.